Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And as a surfer, he explored the beaches of Southern California from La Jolla to Leo Carrillo and up to Pismo. I'm captain of the Pismo Beach Disaster Relief. Whoa, is this the right. sand dunes? I tried to do this at Pismo Beach when I was growing up. Oh, really? Sandboards, like we always like make them in the garage and stuff like that, and it would never work. Never worked. No. <laughs> never worked. I am from Pismo Beach, sir. You're a long way from home, aren't you? That's about 100 miles up north. I kept looking all over for Pismo Beach just to get a bowl of clam chowder. I found it. I have moved my home to Pismo Beach. Later, while we were learning about the Pismo Beach disaster, I didn't even know that there was a college here. Well, I commute to San Luis Obispo twice a week. There's a deer. Dewey just called from Pismo Beach. He says there's no way he could have grabbed your ass. California's been good to me. Hope it don't fall into the sea. Sometimes you got to trust yourself. It ain't like. Yeah! Welcome to a new edition of the Slow Cal Podcast. I'm Cyrus Sotzes, your host. You can follow me on Twitter at DogSurfRoadShow. You can follow the program on Twitter at SlowCalPod. Well, if you watch the news, there's two headlines that seem to be dominating everything. One, obviously, is this ridiculous pandemic, and I think we're all miserable from it. We're all tired of it. Let's hope for a vaccine soon. But the other news topic that's really been in the headlines for months now is is uh, all these Black Lives Matters protests. Um, and this started largely because of the murder of George Floyd. I know that there have been convictions, but I think it's safe to say we can call it a murder. I think the video evidence would suffice to say that. When someone's been choked for eight minutes and 46 seconds, I don't know what else you can call that. But I, I think it's a combination. In many ways, that incident was a catalyst for what has been months of protests now across the country. And these protests are focusing on two predominant themes. One is police brutality, which we're now witnessing on a fairly regular basis, almost like evidence for the justification of these protests. And the other one is just social injustice and a system that has promoted inequality for probably centuries now for multiple marginalized groups. And here in beautiful San Luis Obispo, you know something is big, something is mainstream when it's happening here. I mean, that's, that's what really caught my attention was when all of a sudden I realized that the protests were happening in my backyard. It's a relatively small community. Granted, we do have a college here, so, so uh, we do have a liberal contingent, but this is more of a moderate conservative scene compared to at least most of California on the coast. So to see these protests happening is fascinating. It's interesting. I personally love it. Um, it, it does annoy me a little bit when I see counter protesters, because all I see from them is completely ignoring what these people are protesting about. I mean, there are two very serious issues going on here. And instead of uh, acknowledging that and continuing to focus on solutions, they seem to want to simply support the police and hate on anyone that goes against their own personal beliefs. And um, anyways, that's for a whole other discussion. But these protests are going on and it's pretty dramatic. We're having arrests. You know, we're having a lot of dissent, a lot of controversy, and I decided to bring on a journalist with our local preeminent news organization, the Slow Tribune. I think it's just called the Tribune, but it's based here in San Luis Obispo. And uh, one of the journalists with that organization is joining me. Her name is Mackenzie Schumann. You could follow her on Twitter 
at Mackenzie Schumann. Mackenzie, how you doing? Hey, Cyrus. I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for being patient with that long-winded intro. So first, tell us, <laughs> tell everyone, tell everyone about yourself. What's your background? How long have you been at Slow Trib? And uh, how did you become a journalist? Oh yeah. Well, so I actually just recently graduated from Arizona State University um, mm. from the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. There, um, graduated in May. Uh, searched for a job. Uh, first real good job that I found was at the Tribune, and so I made the trip out here. I uh, actually arrived here in um, like mid-July, um, early July, um, and have been working hard to cover the local news ever since. So it's been you an can, adventure. Oh, I'm sure. Do you consider yourself, uh, out of all the entry-level journalism positions you could have nailed and landed across this country, how fortunate do you consider yourself that of all the places <laughs> you ended up here in paradise? Oh gosh, very, very fortunate. Um, at the end, I had a few decisions between um, like different parts of the country and um, one was in the East Coast, one was here. And I was just, I'm just like, this area is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's close to the ocean. I've never lived close to the ocean before. Um, so I'm, I'm absolutely loving it. It is, it is beautiful here. Nice. I don't know if you mentioned this already. I apologize if you did. So where are you from originally? I know you, so you went to Arizona State. They, the Walter Cronkite program is exceptional for journalism. Mm -hmm. um, but where are you from originally? Originally, I'm from Colorado. Oh, whereabouts? Um, in between Colorado Springs and Denver in a little town called Monument. Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I lived, uh, I taught yeah. for a year at a community college in Cheyenne, Wyoming, of all places. I'm a born and raised Californian, but um, okay. The professor job takes you places. So I spent two years in Texas, then one year in Wyoming. But the whole time I was there, all I did was cross the, the Colorado border. I spent way more time in Fort Collins. But I, I explored the state. I loved it. Um, so so what, that's a weird transition to go from um, where you were in Colorado <laughs> to Arizona. What took you down there? Uh, the school, honestly. It's got to be one of the best journalism schools in the country. I would say I'm biased on that, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's all right. <laughs> um, and, and, and what about the reputation of Arizona State as being one of the, pre, uh, the, the premier party schools of the country? Do you confirm that stereotype? Is it just a stereotype? What's your take on that? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, I think, honestly, college at Arizona State is kind of what you make it. Um, you can make it the biggest party school in the country, that's for sure. Um, you have plenty of opportunities to make it like that. Um, but it also, for me, it just provided so many educational opportunities that the, the chances of me going out every weekend during the later years in my college career were mm. less than likely. So okay. it, it's, it's a challenging school, especially certainly in the later years um, as you become like a sophomore, junior, senior, and so forth. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a fun school to go to. It, it has plenty of opportunities to, to be a college student for sure. <laughs> so it sounds like as with each year that passed, you kind of grew, like you had your fun. And by the yeah. end, you kind of realized you, you figured out what's going on. Um, <laughs> yep. What would you say to the critic, and, and, and I want to preface this before we jump into the story, that what would you say to the critic, and there are plenty of them out there who um, question whether or not a journalist straight out of college has the uh, perspective and the, and the life experience to provide proper coverage. What's your that's, rebuttal to that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, honestly, I think journalism is one of those things that perspective 
matters a lot. Um, and what the perspective I bring isn't always the most experienced perspective. I haven't been around for 10, 15, 20 years, um, but I am bringing in a fresh new perspective. So yeah. I, haven't, I haven't seen how things have worked here. I'm, I'm seeing it in a new light, in a way that um, things are different here than they were in Phoenix and things work differently here. And when someone's been in a system for so long, sometimes they become complacent Mm -hmm. um, they start seeing it as a typical thing that may, may be happening. Um, but somebody like me who comes and is young and brings an outside perspective, it's, I will often spot things or notice things that aren't, aren't right or <laughs> are out of the norm, um, yes. as people would say. So yeah, I don't bring experience, but I think I would, the, the big thing I bring is the fresh new perspective. For I sure. like that. I like that. That's a good selling point. Um, and, and. <laughs> So with that said, uh, and, and, and look, ultimately, if you're a great journalist, you're reporting the facts, right? I mean, I mean, we, every person frames a story a certain way because we all have our inherent biases. But as long as you don't convey that in your coverage, you should be fine. Um, I've been reading your coverage. Uh, by the way, what, so how, how do you properly pronounce it? Is it slow? I know it's called the Tribune. Mm -hmm. What's the official name? Is it the San Luis Obispo Tribune? Is it the Tribune of Slow? Like, what do you, what's the official name of your paper? <laughs> Our official name is the Tribune. Okay. Um, but there is a bigger, there's like a Tribune. I think that's kind of an international news website. So we often go by Slow Tribune. Gotcha. I know that's such a gen, like a generalized name. That's why yeah. I was curious. Such a bold yeah. name. Like we are the trib. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we uh, are. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you've been pr pr producing some great coverage for the protests that have been going on here in uh, San Luis Obispo. And, and again, that's when that to me, that's when I started to realize, wow, if we're having these kind of protests here in, you know, a market that in this country is what, 150 something. I mean, we're a small town, we're a small community. But nonetheless, we have we were having protests here. We have a level of civil unrest here. Mm -hmm. um, but what's really drawn attention is the arrest of a, of a college student uh, from Cal Poly um, who's been leading these protests. Her name is Tiana Arada. And correct me if I'm mispronouncing your name. I've never actually said her name out loud before. Um, no, that's correct. And she's okay. from Cuesta, actually. Oh, she's not a Cal Poly student? She's a Cuesta student. Yeah, a Cuesta student. Is she from here? Is she local? She is not originally from here, um, but she's okay. living here. She's been living here since 2016. I love that. I, to, to me, that's one of the be many beautiful things about Cuesta. Um, I don't know if you know this. I'm, I'm, I teach there. Mm -hmm. um, and about, it, usually it's like a fit. When I was a student here many years ago, it was pretty even between locals and out-of-towners in terms of your college student demographics. And it's shifted a little bit towards more locals now. I think it's about 55, 45 and from what I've read, um, the main cause of that is increased prices in housing. Less people are coming from out of town to come here because of the cost. Um, but it's incredible to me. You can still go to Cuesta and get that out of, get that college experience just by going to community college. The only other place, and maybe you've seen places like this, but the only other place I've ever seen that kind of provides that experience is maybe Santa Barbara City College is south, south of us. I've never really seen anywhere else that's a college town, but you don't have to go to the university to experience it, right? Um, so, so that's just Tiana's background. So she's been here since 2016. She's a Cuesta student. Is she like, is she going to go to Cal Poly? Like, I mean, 20, that was a long time ago. Is she done with college or tell us um, about her background? Yeah. So she, she was, she moved here in 2016 and she went to the Grizzly Youth Academy, um, and then graduated, 
um, like a year later and then went to Cuesta. Um, she worked toward getting her communications degree, which she is, she said she's about a few classes off um, okay. from obtaining that. Um, but she is going to a different uh, California university in the fall. Oh. Um, yeah. So she's, and she's going to continue to get that communications degree um, and then perhaps also pursue another degree as well. Interesting. And how did, and the reason why I'm mentioning her name is because Tiana Arata has basically become the face of the Black Lives Matter protests and, and kind of a leader of them um, here in San Luis Obispo. But what really brought her in the news is the fact that she got arrested and, and she, I don't know if she actually got arrested, but she has eight, I believe, eight pending charges against her. Um, could you just detail and take your time explaining this? Because you obviously know more than I do and it could, there could be a lot of complications here, but detail, like how did she become the face of this, of, the, of at least a local movement and what led up to the arrests? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it's it's a complicated story, but essentially, um, Tiana had been a um, activist in her community. She used to she used to live in Portland. She was um, active in the activist community there, um, and then moved to Slo and was just looking for the opportunity to to join that community again and um, be an active person. Um, in her community. So she essentially, um, like she started protesting um, when the blackface incident happened at Cal Poly in 2017. Um, she, oh, wow. that was her first big intro into like being an activist in, in slow. And so after that, um, when uh, George Floyd died in the Black Lives Matter, saw a huge resurfacing across the nation, Tiana just kind of took it upon herself to help organize along with about a dozen other local organizers here in SLO to, to bring the movement here and start organizing marches and mm -hmm. other protests and so forth. So she, she was a big part of it at first. She was not like the main person because um, she was organizing these with a few other, like I said, like a dozen other um, local organizers. Mm -hmm. um, but she did, I think, as the protests progressed in slow, um, before I got here, even, she became just more of a prominent face. She was always at the front of the protest, always with the bullhorn, always leading the chance, um, and always a prominent face that people could kind of go to and see and say hi to. and. Part of Tiana's personality as well is just to, um, she always, she describes herself as like a bridge between the gaps. And so she okay. would always be bringing new people out to the protest, be introducing people to what community activism looks like and so forth. So she kind of, she was kind of everybody's point man for this. Mm -hmm. And so everybody would go to her and be like, hey, Tiana, when's the next protest? When is this happening? Um, so that's that's kind of how she became a prominent face in it. Um, and then I think on July 21st, um, she was one of the speakers at the protest. She uh, was prominent there as well. She was holding the bullhorn, leading chants. Mm -hmm. um, she was always at the front of the march and so forth. So um, she was, yeah, one of many of the leaders there. Um, I, I personally, it's kind of funny, I personally did not know who she was before the protest. 
because that was my first protest ever covered that I ever covered in slow. So I went in not knowing who she was. And then as things progressed and I talked to people at the protest, they were saying like, oh, go ask Tiana or, oh, Tiana is the one who would tell you about that kind of thing. So, okay. Um, she, I don't think most people knew who she was, so I don't think you, you, you were outside the bubble <laughs> in that regard. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, so I didn't totally know who she was. And then, um, but she was certainly like just kind of a leader in organizing everything. Um, so that's kind of, I think, how she, she gained prominence in the local movement. Gotcha. And, and, and so, and she's led these protests, and I think most of them were based downtown, but then what, uh, what brought a lot of scrutiny and what really brought controversy and a lot of attention to this is that um, one of the days, I believe, and, and again, correct me at any point, I've not been following this scrupulously like you obviously have, um, but apparently one of the days she led the protest onto the freeway. And I think that's what caused a lot of problems. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that was the July 21st protest. Yep. And, and detail what happened there. Like, why did they, so uh, the freeway thing, so I'm born and raised in the Bay Area and, and I'm sure based on what you've read over the years, I mean, that's a hub for protests, right? And I, I was involved in the, the early 2000s. I was part of that crew. We were protesting the, the Iraq war, um, which turns out we were right. They were wrong for obvious reasons. There were no weapons of mass destruction. And I think in this case, you're also going to find these protesters being on the right side of history ultimately. But um, one thing that draws a lot of controversy with protests is when they decide to shut freeways down. Um, I understand why they do it. They're, it's an easy way to raise awareness. I mean, if you're stuck in traffic, you're going to learn quickly what's going on. It's, it's attention grabbing. It's newsworthy. But a lot of people get pissed off. And I really don't know if that is a productive way of protest because so many people just want to go from point A to point B and all of a sudden they're stuck for sometimes hours on end in a protest that they may or may not have interest in. And usually you're just annoying most of those people. I've never... And this is an opinionated opinion, obviously, but I just don't know if that's an effective thing. But nonetheless, she brings this protest out to the freeway. And then what happens? Um, so after they entered the freeway, essentially a lot of the protesters um, gathered on both sides of the highway. So they were blocking both the northbound and southbound uh, lanes of Highway 101. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a few speakers who came up and kind of um, just stood out there and um, led some chants and so forth. And they moved, they moved around a little bit. They walked down the freeway um, and, again, just kind of stood there for a little bit, leading some chants. Um, there, were, there were quite a few cars, like, idling around them. The police did a good job of um, blocking the on-ramps and off-ramps so that cars would be directed to to take a detour around Mm. um but before they were able to do that there were a few cars that got stuck in that traffic and and were idling around um so this was organized so the police knew they were mm going to shut the freeway down um no i don't believe the police okay okay gotcha so they went out there and the police were trying to do their best to improvise as this was going on yes yeah exactly gotcha thank you yeah um And so they, at one point, attempted to hold like eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence for George Floyd. Um, It kind of got interrupted by a few counter protesters. Um, A few like trucks started honking and so forth. So Hmm. um, I I didn't time it, but after about seven minutes, um, they protesters started getting up. 
Um, there were some incidents of um, cars trying to get through. Um, at what do you mean? Point, what, what do you mean by that? Like they were f like forcefully getting trying to get through, like running over people, kind of thing, or? Um, yeah, well, not entirely forcefully running over people, but um, I know of one incident um, that I kind of witnessed from afar where a car um, attempted to start driving so that they could go wherever they needed to go. And they, um, protesters tried to block that car. The car began driving faster. And talking to um, one person afterwards, he said he got hit by the car in the knee. Wow. Um, pretty hard. But And then another protester decided to... Um, hit the car's back window with their skateboard, oh, um, which shattered it. And apparently there was a four-year-old in the back of the car. So oh, that so caused that a bit of a stir. So that explains why a lot of right-wing media is coming out and saying that a four-year-old child was hit by glass during this. And they conveniently leave out the part that the parent or the driver was trying to barrel over protesters and get out of there forcefully. And that's part of the catalog. Okay, so well, that that paints a better picture because I've I heard a lot. I've heard a lot of people say these protesters broke glass on a four year old, and and without giving any description, and all you're hearing is that part of it, which is blatant misinformation. So yeah. okay, so what happened ultimately? Did the car get through, or like when that back window got smashed, did it stop? Like like what was the end result? Uh, the car did get through. Yeah, and okay. they drove away. Yeah. And okay. Oh my goodness. I know this, it's, 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 this whole thing's been crazy. So is, so what happened after that? Was this, was all, was, so Tiana ultimately has eight charges pending against her. And this is, and some of these charges are very serious. Was, was all the stuff that led to the charges against her, was that from the same day? Like the protests go back into the city or like what happened next? Um, so I don't know entirely where the where all of the charges um, come from. I, I'm just not privy to that information from the slow PD. But okay. um, what I've been told is, yeah, those charges stemmed essentially from um, Tiana Arada being the main person who led the the protesters onto the the highway, um, and a lot of it comes. Um, and this is kind of my assumption, but also what I've been told, mm -hmm. a lot of it comes from the actions on the freeway, um, and also just the totality of the circumstances of the protest, um, and so forth. So I'm not totally sure exactly what time, what place, like those charges exactly stem from. Gotcha. But there's there's a lot that happened um, at so, that protest. So. so the police basically informed you and your colleagues um, that there was going to be eight. So they specified what the charges are, but they didn't offer the rationale for why they're trying to draw these charges or push um, forward. The reasoning I was I was told is they're based off of probable cause. Um, so the police have probable cause in, in all of the charges that they're recommending. Well, what seems crazy to me, and this is coming straight off your newspaper's website, is that according to your paper, the police department is recommending a total of eight charges against Arata. And, and the, the five of them that are really crazy to me, or maybe even six because they're felonies, is four felony counts of false imprisonment. And does that stem from, are they, are they basing that on trapping people on the freeway? Is that where the imprisonment part comes from? Um, I mean, again, I can't totally comment on that because I wasn't um, given specific information about where exactly that 
came from. Um, okay. But that would be my that would be my assumption. Um, That's a, I would too. I can't think of any. I mean, and I guess here's here's my question. I don't know if you can answer this or not. Why are they blaming her when every single person involved in this protest has free will? No one was forced to follow her. No one was being paid to participate in this. I mean, everyone involved was doing it voluntarily. So why is all the blame falling on Arata when the First Amendment clearly grants, you know, the right of assembly, which is what a protest is, but it does not place liability on the organizers. So do you know why they're, they're, they're like putting a target on her? Is it just because she's leading this thing and they don't like that? I, yeah, I was told it's because she's the leader. Um, the slow PD chief, uh, Deanna Control, told me multiple times that um, she was she was clearly the leader. Um, in her words, Tiana was the aggressor, the agitator of the protest on July twenty first. Um, so that's the that's the reason why they chose to to recommend those charges. It's just crazy to me. It's, it, it does seem very vindictive. I, I, can't, I cannot imagine in a court of law any of this would hold up. Four felony counts of false. Four. I mean, I'd understand maybe one. I mean, wh where the four come from? That seems, that seems malicious by itself. One felony count of conspiracy. And I'm guessing the conspiracy comes from the organization aspect. But even then, what, what, where's the felony in that? Where's the crime in that? One count of resisting or obstructing a peace officer. Do you have any idea what that charge stems from? Um, I believe that may come from when they arrested her. Um, but again, I'm, I'm not completely sure on, the, on that. So they did arrest her? Yes. Yeah, they arrested okay. her after the protest. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that, was, and that I, weirdly enough, is just a misdemeanor. So, I mean, the, the, um, one count of inciting a riot and one misdemeanor count of unlawful assembly. This is crazy. I've, I've never, my, look, my theory on this, Mackenzie, is that, and I've been, I've been preaching this to my classrooms, to, on my other podcasts, when the topic of slow comes up, is we're a, such a small community here that there's a considerable lack of oversight, right? I mean, you folks are it. Like the few local journalists here are the only ones reporting on everything, the police, the government, Cal Poly's administrators, because they're insanely powerful here. And even if you report it, you have an audience of like, I mean, what's the total demographic, what's the total population of this metropolitan area, if you call it, the media market, what, like 100,000, maybe? Um, yeah, that's just not a- Yeah, the county's it, like 280,000. Okay, so, so that's not a lot of people. And, and I guess when you're, even when you publish a really like hair-raising type story, like a really fascinating thing that so many people should be interested in, let's say everyone is, that's still not a lot of people. So I feel like unless like national media or media from our LA or San Francisco markets start jumping in, anyone who's doing anything here that might be frowned upon could just basically get away with it. I've seen a lot of blatant corruption here. And part of me wonders if that's the attitude of the police. Is that, what are you going to do about it? You know, like, I, I feel like that's the mentality of law enforcement in a lot of these smaller communities. What are you going to do about it? Who are you going to tell on? Who's going to get me in trouble, right? That, that's, I mean, maybe I'm totally not anywhere near reality in saying that, but that's my belief. That is my feeling on this based on my own heuristic research and, and, and limited amount of, of conversations with other people. I don't know. I, I know you're a journalist. You're not supposed to add opinions, but you're not writing a story here. In your opinion, in your opinion like, like what do you, what's your take on this? Like, is it, do you think the police are justified levying this, this eight counts? 
you know, I'm not a legal expert by any means, um, but I think the police department, they have probable cause. They believe that they can, they can um, press these charges if the DA chooses to accept them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really think it depends on on how on what evidence is presented um, from both sides. Uh, I've heard the defense attorneys um, they said that they have submitted their full investigation um, report, and um, I'm sure they'll be bringing up some interesting things in their in their reports um, as well as the police in their reports. So honestly, I I can't say it's it'll be interesting to see how. The, the courts take it, if they're, um, if these charges are going to trial at all, that's the first decision, really. We still don't know if, if the DA is going to accept these charges. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the next few days um, since her, her court date is coming up. The DA did say that they're expecting to have a decision as to whether they're going to press charges um, or not in the next few days. So it'll it'll be interesting to see but i think it's it's also going to be interesting to see how the public reacts to this um so i think there's there's a lot on i mean if you could call it two sides i think there's a lot of people (laughs) on both sides um of this issue and there's a lot of people who are um extremely against um tiana and all of her actions and then there's others that support her um and support the protests and support the Black Lives Matter movements. Um, so it'll be interesting. For those on the other side, and let's say for the sake of this conversation, let's call them the Blue Lives Matter people. Um, and maybe that's totally wrong, but I can't really think of any other term at this moment besides right-winger. So we'll go with Blue Lives Matter people. What is their argument for being against Tiana? Like, what do they think she did that was so horrible? Um, from a lot of people that I've spoken to and my colleague, um, Matt has spoken to at the counter protests, um, and at the peace marches, um, essentially people, um, they just believe that, um, uh, how do I word this, that police are, um, justified in all of their actions that, um, they believe that Tiana did do every single one of her charges um, and that um, while Black Lives Matter, so do Blue Lives Matter. Um, it's a it's a definite political divide, but also yes. just a, how people perceive things and how people perceive what the Black Lives Matter movement is trying to accomplish. Um, they're perceiving it as um, only Black Lives Matter when uh, a lot of people disagree with that that's not what the black lives matter movement is about um so it's a lot of it's a lot of divide between just sentiments of do we do we believe in the black lives matter movement and we see tiana as the leader of the local black lives matter so do we agree with tiana um so it's a lot of people on both sides of that question i think i i I really think i need to just bring on my show someone from the other side just because I cannot see in any way them winning an argument based on logic for their side. Like, for example, if they sit here and say, well, I believe the cops, my response would be, why? Like, why, like do, do you actually know the evidence? Like, were you there? You know, I, I, you know, and if they say Blue Lives Matter, it's like, well, what about all the injustice? I mean, do they not recognize that this all started with blatant police brutality against Black people? I think the issue ultimately is just that everyone on the Blue Lives Matter side 
lacks perspective on what it feels like to be marginalized, right? Like they just have no idea what it's like to be denied a job because of your skin color or your gender. They don't know what it's like to not get dates because of the way you look. They don't know what it's like to be bullied as a kid and to feel left out because you're marginalized and don't fit in with that white norm. That like, that's, to me, that is what's preventing any progress from that other side in terms of having empathy because they just have never experienced the hardships, their tor the turmoil, and they fail to acknowledge that for centuries, those groups were held behind. And there, it's almost impossible to ever catch up without some sort of system in place to help them. Um, it, it, I don't know. Again, I, I know you're, you're supposed to be impartial here. I, I could spew all these opinions. Um, so <laughs> September 3rd is when the arraignment is taking place. And I guess, and Dan Dowd, I believe is the name of the, of the district attorney who's going to decide whether or not to proceed with pressing charges. And there's a lot of pressure on him because like you said, there are two sides to this. Um, and then I guess we'll find out from there what happens. From your, you've been at the protests, you've been covering them. Um, have you actually seen acts of violence besides the car trying to plow through and having the back window smashed? Have you seen looters? Like, have you actually seen anything that substantiates the conservative argument that these protesters are mostly just looters and rioters and, and violent people? No, not at all. Definitely not in San Luis Obispo. Yeah, I, you know, this is the same rhetoric against them was, was published and spewed during Martin Luther King Jr. It's no different. It's crazy. Um, wow, that's crazy, man. I, I can't believe that. And there's a, there's a second person who was, who was a, I think, facing charges too. Is that correct? Yeah, Elias Bautista. Yeah. And what is, what is his role in all this? Um, so they were also present at the, um, protest and they were one of the people who stayed behind, um, uh, with Tiana and a lot of the other organizers. Um, and when the police came up to arrest Tiana, there was obviously a little bit of clash between police and, um, the other organizers and protesters. And essentially, people were trying to push through the police arresting Tiana and putting her in the car. And Elias was one of those people. Um, and there's a there's a video that shows Elias um, essentially kicking an officer in the groin and running away from the officer after that. So he got arrested after that. Gotcha. And do you think that's going to stick? Like, like, do you think that'll fall through or is it another, we'll see? <laughs> Again, I think that's another, we'll see. Um, right. It depends really on, on what the police are wanting to, to do and what kind of evidence they submit versus what um, uh, Elias's defense presents. So I think it'll be another, we'll see. So. Okay. That's interesting. This is crazy to me. I mean, we're in crazy times, it, you know, in your opinion, especially you're someone who's younger. Um, I, I do notice that there's a considerable dearth in the older demographic in a lot of these protests. And I think there's a good reason for that. I think a lot of older individuals are trying to avoid COVID. Um, in your opinion, do you think a lot of these protests are based on young angst and that they've been forced to basically seclude for months at a time in their lives when they should be social? Um, or do you really think this, the catalyst for this is just strictly based on the, the, the mantra of, these, of what the protests are? 
Um, I think they're they're certainly strictly based on on the mantra of what the protests are surrounding. I think a lot of the organizers and protesters that I've spoken to have said this movement has waited too long to have this mm-hmm. much of a of a resurfacing. Um, and the Black Lives Matter movement isn't new. It started in 2013, and right. it it did go quiet for a little bit. People didn't hear as much about it. Um, and this is essentially a huge resurfacing. Um, a lot of people are um, kind of coming to terms to what, like, what is racism? Have I been racist my whole entire life and just not thought about it as much as I need to? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are coming to terms with that and realizing um, what an anti-racist is um, and mm-hmm. how to be a better ally to folks um, and so forth. So I think it's it's not, I mean, I don't know how different this would look if COVID weren't here. Um, I think that's, that's what I'm wondering. I guess that's, that's why an I asked that question. question. Yeah, that's why I, think, that's why I asked because I, I do wonder. I mean, I, I totally 100% sympathize and understand with what they're protesting, right? I think they have every valid reason to do so. Um, but at the same time, I also wonder, it's like, would this be at this level? Would the fervor be this high if there was not a pandemic? You know, I, I don't know. That's just one of those things I thought about. I don't, I don't know who knows if it's true or not. But Yeah, I, I almost would argue for the opposite um, because a lot of people are afraid to go out and protest because of COVID. Um, I myself am slightly immunocompromised. And so I have certain fears oh. of going out and gathering in crowds, but with a mask, of course, and <laughs> figuring out yeah, how to... Yeah how to be as distanced as possible, it works out. But I think a lot of people are still really afraid um, to go outside and be in those large gatherings. So I think if if COVID weren't here, then perhaps things would be a lot bigger. Perhaps there would be a lot more people um, out attending these protests and these marches. And, and it, what's crazy is that the fact that this has been going on for months. I mean, the media doesn't always cover these protests, but it's almost every day. I don't know if necessarily that's the case here in slow, but I mean, this is still a daily thing. You know, it's, it's I do love the energy. I, I can't really see any other comparison to this in terms of the number of people, the passion, um, certain, a certain extent anger, and, and there's a justifiable reason for that. I mean, I don't, I haven't seen anything compared to this since probably the 1960s, you know, and back then they were protesting civil rights, very similar back then in the Vietnam War, which we're not really dealing with much of a war right now, at least in terms of something to protest. But um, yeah, and, and, I, and I do hope the momentum sticks because in the 1960s, the momentum was there and then went away. And I just hope that it doesn't do that this time. I mean, the energy is there. Um, what, uh, uh, I know you, that's crazy. Have you been, so you haven't been actually compromised though, despite the fact that you've been covering these protests and been out there? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I have not gotten sick with COVID at nice. all. Um, okay, that's good. Yeah. What yeah. about treatment of journalists? Um, this is, we're in a weird time, and I think these protests play a large part in the fact that there are record numbers of um, injustices being taken place by police and by counter-protesters against journalists, whether it's arrests, whether it's physical attacks. Are you witnessing any hostilities toward you or your colleagues when you're covering these events? Um not not hostility um there's always when always covering events like this there's always a hesitation for people to to worry about their image getting out um there's a new newfound fear over um people's pictures um being taken 
um, being quoted in stories now. It's it's not a it's not quite a hostility towards me. It's more of a almost a fear. Like I I don't fear is too strong of a word, but it's it's an apprehension of talking to the media and worrying that um, their name is going to be in the paper the next day and people are going to know who they are. Um, so there's that level of um, just apprehension of talking to to me as a journalist mm-hmm. trying to cover these. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's at that's at both both protests. Um, at the back the blue protests, there's always people who are worried about speaking to a journalist and don't want their name in the in the paper. And the same is as um, with those at the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, but other than that, I have in slow, I have not. Um, witnessed or like had any sort of violence um against me whatsoever Um, and no no aggression either like people not aren't yelling at you calling you fake news or nothing like that well honestly that might have happened i'm i've come to a point where i kind of ignore things like that now so things (laughs) like that kind of just float over my head um i still get emails uh in my inbox um Uh, all the time um from from my hate haters and so forth oh, um no, but you know there. that's it's kind of part of the job at this point and if people yeah. w- think that i'm reporting the truth inaccurately then i am more than happy to hear them out um so i always i always open those emails to make sure that i am doing the best job that i could be doing nice um and reporting it all accurately and interpreting the facts correctly so it's it's a balance for sure but and those people are always going to exist um no matter what you're covering (laughs) there's always going to be dissent about it that's true but i feel like the dissent is higher now than it's been at any point in recent history thanks in large part to this president we have that i personally really hope we vote out soon um but you know yeah i mean i i have to you know I, i teach journalism and it's one of the lessons i have to teach now first and foremost don't listen to our president who keeps saying fake news and i have to present actual academic articles to show evidence that a lot of these organizations he criticizes actually are credible and produce very trustworthy pieces of content. Um, I mean, the, I've never seen the fervor this high in terms of animosity against the media. And, and anytime I meet someone, by the way, who says that, they're like, oh, oh, you're just part of the fake news, mainstream media. My first reaction always is, where do you get your information? And they mm-hmm. never answer. They never answer because I guarantee they're getting it from Facebook, Fox News, like wherever they're getting it from, there's no way you can make the argument that's a valid source of information. But they happily criticize anyone that, that you know, doesn't praise glowingly their beloved orange president. Um, I, I want to I wrap this up on a more lighter note. I'm sorry if at any point my opinions offend you. Uh, you're new here. So what do you uh-huh. recommend? What, what, are your, what are your recommendations? You came here at a weird time, but I do feel like you picked a great place for a pandemic. Um, what are your favorite things to do here in slow, especially as someone who is like me, who's trying to avoid this thing at all costs. I mean, I've been hiding out for the most part for like five months now. Um, so what do you do for fun? Like, what, what do you recommend for people here in slow? Oh man, there's a lot to do here. <laughs> luckily I am a big nature person. So I try to get out, um, get on the hiking trails. Madonna is great. Madonna it Mountain. Is. Um, one of my favorite places um, is the Montaña de Oro State Park. Yeah. I've absolutely loved just exploring that area. 
um, hiking around there, just sitting and watching the ocean for a good hour or so is kind of a good de-stressor for me. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can't say I recommend like any shops here right now because one, I don't know any good shops to go to yet. (laughs) I haven't been to any. Well, what kind of shops are you talking about? Any clothes? I mean, I, I could probably help a little bit with that, but I guess, well, I don't know. I've been, I've eaten ice cream at McClintock's once, which was great. Um, I I haven't done that. Okay. Yeah, they have great ice cream. Um, oh gosh, I miss I miss so many restaurants. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've I've gotten takeout from uh, a few restaurants, but yeah. I other than their food is great. That's all I can say because I don't know about the atmosphere or the customer service. Really, yeah. it's it's so it's so difficult coming to a new area during the middle of a pandemic because. I want to explore. I want to get to know people better, but it's just, it's sticky right now. I can't, I can't so really do sticky. that. So sticky. I have my entire life is Instacart <laughs> yeah. and a few DoorDash things here and there. I mean, I used to, was doing DoorDash a lot at the beginning, but now I've kind of settled into Instacart and I just cook and stuff, but it's crazy. It is, it is crazy, but at least you, you, you those are some great outdoor activities. Do you surf? Have you tried surfing yet? I want to learn. I want to learn. Anytime you want to go. I got extra wetsuits. I got extra boards. Here's one crazy thing, though. So two days ago, um, I I was surfing Cayucas, which is one of my spots, or at least was. And near the end of my session, I was out there for almost two hours, so I was ready to go in anyways. I look out toward toward the horizon, and I saw a great white shark breach. And so I've been surfing for like over 20 years of my life, right? Since my teenage years. And I'm much older than you probably, I'm guessing, if you're straight out of college. But um, I've never seen, I've, you know, you hear stories, obviously. And the whole, the whole thing of great white sharks breaching, that used to be just a strict like South Africa thing. For some reason, the great whites in South Africa breach. They jump out as they're chasing seals. Or I, don't, I don't think they're playing around. They're not like dolphins. Um, but the last four or five years, I'm starting to hear stories of them doing it here in California. And I saw it. And this thing was like 10 plus feet. It wasn't small. It was fat. Like that's what <laughs> sticks out to me the most. Like it wasn't narrow at all. This was like wide and just jumped out and splashed. And I was like, oh my God. And I just, I just paddled in and I, I, I'm spooked, man. <laughs> it's, a, it's not a cool thing to experience. I mean, I, I had a class this morning. One of my students was like, that's awesome. And I was like, eh. I guess it's an awesome story, but now this is in the back of my mind. I haven't gone out since. I was like two days ago. I'm going to go out tomorrow morning, but I don't know. I mean, I know logically the odds are so against it. And, and, <laughs> and unless it's a really big day, you're not, you don't have to paddle out super far. Like you're fine. I mean, the sharks don't like to come to the shallows, but that was kind of weird. Now with yeah. that said, if I, if I did not scare you away. Uh, yeah. If you ever need a partner in crime to do that with, I, I go out like three, four days a week. So just say the word. I'll take you. I'll teach you. It's definitely one of the things you should be doing if you're in slow and you like yeah. the outdoors. Yeah. I don't know. That story of the shark though. That's pretty terrifying. Reminds yeah. me of watching Jaws over and over and over as a kid. Cause I knew that I would never live next to an ocean. And yet here I am <laughs> next to an ocean. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is great whites. Like the, the way they hunt is they like deeper waters and they like to especially lurk where the ocean bottom drops off like a cliff. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll kind of swim next to that cliff edge so that they're not seen and they're looking up and they're trying to find seals ultimately. The younger ones, which is what I was, as crazy as it sounds, a 10-footer is a young one. That's a juvenile. Um, and they're, they're hunting more for like, like squid and fish and stuff like that. But so they don't like to come in the shallows because 
they're seen, right? Their entire method of hunting is kind of thrown away when they do that. And they don't like kelp beds. So Shell Beach is super safe. Like on bigger days, I'm going to start going there. And, um, and Pismo seems, some, for some reason, doesn't seem as like wild as Cayucas and Bay does. It, it doesn't seem as exposed, but I know it's crazy, man. Sorry to go off on that tangent. I, and the, the whole thing is, I, I reported it on Twitter. I, I posted it right away. I got a verified account, decent amount of followers, and I tagged the California State Parks. And apparently, I thought shark sightings were supposed to be reported, and just no one acknowledged it, man. They just were like, just nothing, no reaction whatsoever. So I guess maybe it's a normal thing here. I don't know. Yeah. Um, oh gosh. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry to scare you. You shouldn't be scared though. Again, if if you're scared of sharks, you might as be afraid of flying. There's so many other things with higher odds of danger I wouldn't yeah yeah okay well that's good to know <laughs> anyways all right so I will let you go I've had you for like 50 minutes you can follow Mackenzie Schumann on Twitter um at Mackenzie Schumann Mackenzie spelled M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E Schumann is S-H-U-M-A-N anything else you want to promote or plug or say before I let you go I mean, people got to read their local news. We're at sanluisobispo.com. So I think local news sources are the best sources to go to. So. 100%, 100% agree. How are you guys doing, by the way? I know your parent company, McClatchy, sold. Is that affecting you in any way? Are you guys okay? Um, it's not affecting us right now. I think the our CEO leaves the office next week. Um, but I think it's, it's a smooth transition so far. Um, yeah, so I can't really say it's affecting us at all right now cool. that I've seen. So, which is good. Awesome. That is that is very good. Yeah, I, I'm I'm always a little wary when when these you know whoever these parent companies are, and oftentimes they're venture capitalist firms, and they're not looking out for society's betterment, which is what journalism exists, why it exists. They're just looking out for the bottom dollar, and that's that's a, a an ill on journalism. That's not a good thing. So. I do hope they let you continue the great work. Um, and Mackenzie, thank you so much. Thanks for painting a, a better picture about these protests and, and why the police are pursuing these charges. And I guess we still don't know for sure. You can't read their minds, but um, you certainly painted a better picture, a clearer picture. And I thank you for that. It was nice talking to you. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. All right, Mackenzie. And have a great day. Thanks again. You too. Bye. Thanks. Bye. And that was Mackenzie Schumann of Slow Trib. Here on the Slow Cow Podcast, my my buddy, my partner, Jerry Perez, will join me for the next one. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Till the next episode, take care. You. Well, let me get to the point. Let's roll another joint and turn the radio loud. I'm too long to be proud. And you don't know. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.